Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello, and welcome to the Neil Before Pod interview segment. I'm your host, Craig, and I recently had the pleasure of talking to Nicholas Treshin, director of Thunderbird. We discuss learning the craft of directing, getting the right cast, and dealing with production problems. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. I'm delighted to be joined on Neil Before Pod with Nicholas Treshin. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Getting on in the evening, but getting there. <laughs> it's over here. Yes, it's, it's time to watch movies. Yeah, time to unwind and watch movies or do interviews about movies, whichever. Yeah. So just to start on your background, really, how did you get into the wonderful and varied world that is directing? What got your start? What piqued your interest? And, and how did it can proceed? I loved making home movies with my friends when I was a kid. That was my favorite thing to do and went to film school when I was done school. So I went and got my arts degree, but majored in film school. And then I started out as an editor. I worked into post-production. I always edited everything that I wrote and directed. So editing was kind of my first jump as my first real job. And then I did some directing in some lower budget, like music videos. I was always doing a lot of short films. I got a break in some unscripted TV. And for a while, I worked a lot in documentary and reality and lifestyle television. And scripted has always been my passion. And I've always loved great mysteries or sci-fi and horror. And whatever my first feature film was going to be, I wanted it to be something that I cared about or had something to say. And the opportunity came to write and direct Thunderbird. And I jumped at the chance. With your background in reality TV documentary style stuff, how does that differ as scripted drama in terms of the approach to working on it? And what did you learn from coming through that kind of programming? Well, in Unscripted, you always have less time and less money. You're still delivering story. So I think it really taught me how to work efficiently. And a lot of times in Unscripted Television, you have to get people to deliver a line or say something or convey something. So you actually get quite good working with people because a lot of the times they're not actors and <laughs> you have to get them to say and do certain things. So I think once I jumped into the pool of working with great actors, man, it sure made my job a lot easier. So I still think working in Unscripted, it makes you refine your skills as a storyteller just because you're working with less time all the time. Story is story. Whether you're working on a documentary or a reality show or a sci-fi or a thriller, I think at the end of the day, people are interested because of story. So even though it was a little bit unorthodox, it was great training. So it's about kind of finding the story in this reality of a moment or reality of a situation that you're maybe following these people around doing whatever it is they're doing. So it's, it's kind of like that about teasing out that story in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And even I find like a lot of directors that I admire, they approach sometimes scripted matter in that way. Like Darren Aronofsky is someone that I liked early on, you know, when I was in film school. And I remember seeing The Wrestler and thinking, man, like this is shot very much like a documentary, very kind of handheld following your subject. And sometimes just that way of approaching material can be really powerful. I got that impression when I was watching Thunderbird, actually, some of it did feel like following people around as they just did their jobs. So it's kind of this informative and compelling viewing experience of just seeing people trying to figure something out and going through the day-to-day -day process. I didn't actually know at that point I was watching it that you'd done sort of reality TV side of things, but I could immediately see that influence once I 
was looking up researching this interview. So it was interesting. Was that a conscious approach on your part to deliver the mystery that way? Yeah, I guess a little bit. Setting the tone is the most important thing for me when it comes to a film. I find you can have great actors and a great script, but if the tone is wrong, sometimes things can fall flat. And I really wanted to ground it in a way where you feel like you're taking a moment to allow the character to absorb the location or the scene or, or a moment and for me, that's just great character development. But stylistically, Alfonso Chen was our very talented cinematographer. We're both huge David Fincher and Denis Villeneuve fans, and we love deliberately placing frames and cameras. So even though there was a little bit of that documentary feel, we really did strive to make this not look like a low-budget indie feature. We wanted to give it a look that was rich and beautiful and and try and make every frame a painting if we could. I imagine the setting really helped with that. It was a really striking looking place and almost felt like a character in of itself. You had the woods, you had the docks, all that stuff. Yeah, no, we wanted it to really embrace the Pacific Northwest and have that feel of the ocean and the richness of the forest and to feel sometimes the dilapidated nature of a small town and yeah, again, it's a character in the film, the location. Yeah, and another big thing about it is the focus on culture, because there's a variety of cultures that exist within the town and the film. And, and I find it really interesting, the Native American angle and almost the tensions that existed between the people that might not necessarily tolerate them quite so easily. Where did that come from in the writing process? We wanted to shoot it in, in this small town. And, and the theme of the fear of the unknown became something very important in the writing of this film. And growing up, I saw a lot of racism growing up with the First Nations uh, Indigenous culture in where I grew up. And we wanted to have that element and we wanted to do it authentically. And we immediately reached out to our elders, First Nation Squamish elder on the mainland, as well as when we shot in Fort Rupert on Vancouver Island, there was a hereditary chief, David Knox, who's with the Quagio First Nation. We wanted to make sure there was absolute authenticity and that we had their blessing. So we wanted to incorporate the legends and the storytelling, but also show that divide. And we thought prejudice and racism is such a strong example of people not communicating or maybe being scared of something that they don't know. And it kind of grew organically out of that, but we couldn't have done any of it without our chiefs and First Nations elders guiding us and making sure that from script to screen, it was done properly. I mean, it's not the exact same kind of story, but in terms of just the setup, the general setup, the differing points of view and stuff, I got a bit of a three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri vibe from the film. I don't know if that was something that you were thinking of when writing and making it, but I certainly got that impression because you had the, here's the local racists, here's the people that are being discriminated against, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I don't think I had seen the film when I was writing Thunderbird, but definitely in my own experience, I saw firsthand how sometimes the people that you feel are supposed to keep the peace or keep you safe don't necessarily have to have a very healthy opinion of certain cultures and how that can really ruin an experience for a young man. And just the idea of not being able to count on the people that you need is terrifying to me. So I find there's good and bad people in all corners of the world and all walks of life. And for the character of Will, he really is in some ways on his own and he must face his own fears and face himself in order to move past the darkness that has haunted him. And what was your approach to writing a mystery and then later directing a mystery in terms of 
pointing out where the clues are, what the important stuff to pay attention to is. That must be quite difficult to make sure is in the right place. There's a lot of trial and error. For me, writing is rewriting. So I wrote my first draft and there were elements and things in it that I knew that I liked. And then I wanted to rework things just to make it more truthful. I love big themes and I love mystery and I feel audiences are really smart. They're smarter than ever. So I think they like a mystery. They don't want everything spelled out for them. So I thought I was going to tell a simple story of a young man whose sister is missing and he needs to find her. He has to go to the small town where there's a lot of tension. It's a dangerous place for him to be. But then he ends up crossing paths with kind of a big city detective that is trying to solve a murder that's happened near the town. And their paths kind of crisscross in order to help each other and solve these mysteries. I like the idea that that was an easy, I guess, plot to follow. But the themes of confronting your fears and prejudice and scared of stories or legends. I just thought it really made for a really rich backdrop for that simple story. So I tried to combine the both and I eventually just worked on it till it felt right. And you had a great cast as well, Aaron Douglas, et cetera, excellent cast to embody these characters. So what was it like working with the actors and what approach do you take to working with actors? Are you hands-on? Do you let them see what they bring to the characters? I bet both. Is it something different? You know, when you make an indie film and you don't have tons of money, you don't have tons of time. You want to hire the best actors that you can. So on take one, you know, they're at least giving you something that you know you can work with. As a writer... I see the film in my head and I hear the character speaking. So I feel if you cast right, I've heard Ridley Scott say something like 80% of your job as a director is done when you cast right. And I understand what he means because on an indie film, especially there's no time to do 30 takes and find it. But for the most part, I love to let my actors play and have room and let them flesh out the character to make it their own. But sometimes a certain take, I'll be like, eh, try it like this. Or what about something like this? As the editor of the film as well, I like having options. So if there's time, it's nice to get a couple different things because I find you direct the film three times. You direct it when you write it, you direct it on set, and then you direct it in the edit suite as well. So it's good to have options, but for the most part, I really, I love and respect the craft of acting and and what actors bring to a role. So it's important to me to cast well and give them the room to make it their own. And what were some of your biggest challenges when directing? Was there maybe bad weather that caused problems? Was there other complications that made things a bit more difficult? Or was there anything that happened that made something better? Because sometimes you hear about these things that crop up that end up improving something. I would say every single day something went wrong. Something wasn't planned. You have your shot list and you have this fantasy of what you're going to get. And then things go wrong and you have to be able to make decisions quickly in order to get your movie. But even if it's slightly different. So every day it's, there's constantly something wrong. Things go wrong. Sometimes something's wrong with wardrobe or rain is forcing you to, you have to go inside to shoot something. But that's just part of filmmaking. That's the magic. I think you just have to roll with it. Don't let it defeat you. Keep going. Just find a way to make it work. We were actually blessed with great luck. I think the movie gods were shining down on us when we went out on the boat to fish for halibut because the weather was perfect. If the weather was bad, if the seas were stormy, we would have been in big trouble. And nope, it was beautiful weather. The sun was shining. We reeled in nine halibut and it felt like we were just making a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) 
But yeah, all kinds of things went wrong, but that's filmmaking. For me, my philosophy is you just have to find a way to make it work. You know how to make God laugh, make a plan. And I think that's what filmmaking is. You just have to find a way to make it work. But yes, Mm. on a (laughs) a daily basis, sound issues, wardrobe issues, location issues, and time. Time is just slipping through your hands like sand, you know, and yeah, there's no time to complain. You just have to keep going. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine keeping the lighting consistent with so much outdoor shooting must have been something. Yes and no. I just rewatched Jaws and the intro to Jaws, one minute it's nighttime, one minute the sun is in the sky. And you know what? The film is so well done that you don't even care. So I think you just got to do it. I think you find a way. You can work your magic in the edit suite sometimes, but that's the benefit of working fast. If you work fast, the clouds are not going to turn to sun in the next 15 minutes. So it's like, get your shot, move on. And you got to do a good variety of stuff on the film as well, including even some action, a bit of gunplay and gunfights and whatever else, a bit of fast-paced excitement. So what was it like turning your hand to directing action sequences? Action takes a lot of time, you know, to be safe when you have a gun firing a blank or you have a vehicle moving fast. To be safe, you have to take time. So again, we were only able to do as much as we could to make it safe and within our budget, but I love it. I was a kid that was raised on Raiders of the Lost Ark and some of the greatest action movies of all time. And I loved it. I would love to do more action, but you know, we just thought it's a small indie movie. Let's try and get a couple little moments in there. And yeah, it was fun. That's always great fun. Gets the blood pumping at particular moments as well, doesn't it? It just speeds things up just a little bit after a few more sedate and contemplative moments. So yeah, absolutely loved the way it was peppered in. Thank you. No, well, that's good. Yes. You know, we want to have our dramatic character driven moments, but little bits of action uh, throughout as well. And there was a bit of a hallucinatory creature design thing in there, which I thought was really interesting. It looked great as well. So what was the thought behind that? And then the design process as well? Did someone bring you ideas that they then brought to life? Or did you have an idea in your head or something else? I thought of this idea of Will as a character without, I don't know if we're going into spoiler or anything, but he's done something as a child that he really, really regrets. And he knows there was something bad that was done. And this imagery of this Thunderbird, he sees this dark image. And the thing about these legends is when they are told, let's say by the Coast Salish on the Pacific Northwest, they understand the Thunderbird, they understand the legends. And if they were to see something, it wouldn't be scary. So for me, the images are a metaphor of being afraid of the unknown. They're brought on by William's guilt. So he feels so terrible and guilty that he has these reoccurring nightmares. We worked with the Coast Salish on the mainland and with the Quagio First Nation on the island. And they both revere the Thunderbird as a very, very sacred, sacred, supernatural creature. And and the masks that they have of the Thunderbird are sacred, sacred things that are passed down through generations. And the imagery kind of came from those beautiful carvings. But ultimately, it's a metaphor of just being afraid of the unknown. Yeah. And as I say, it looked great. It was very well designed. It was very well used. It was perfectly scary. And you could see why people would look at it and think, well, that's alarming. So 
Yeah, I really liked that touch. It was that hyper-reality side of it. I thought that was a nice addition to it. And as you say, the metaphor for guilt and so on, I think that comes across really well. Yeah, and and like you said, I did want it to be scary. It is shadows in the darkness. I know, again, as a Ridley Scott reference, but the creature in Alien, right? You don't see it a lot, but when you see the shape of it, there's something menacing about these shapes in the dark. And I feel it's like a primal thing. So yeah, I wanted there to be moments in the theater where people were genuinely scared, where you don't know what's real and what isn't. And yeah, it was a careful balance of all of those things. And the best monsters aren't really just monsters. They are representative of something else as well. So that's, again, something that really comes across. I think it factors into the character brilliantly. So yeah, great touch with that, I thought. No, thanks. Yeah. And that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. What's next for you project-wise? Is there anything that you have coming up? And is there anything you've got your eye on to do, something that you've not done before that you would love to give a shot? Yeah, well, I recently turned in a comedy, actually a half hour comedy that I'm working on was something potentially for Netflix. My next feature is a science fiction that I'm currently writing right now. Yeah, I can't talk too much about it quite yet, but it's something bigger in scope, but very much in the the sci-fi realm. I'm already interested. I love (laughs) sci-fi. It's very much my wheelhouse. So I will be keeping an eye out for that, whatever mysterious project that ends up being. It takes a lot of time to get some of these off the ground, but I will absolutely, I'll I'll keep you posted. Cool. Excellent. So I really have one more question. I'd like to end on a light note. It's a nerdy podcast. So I always like to ask people, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Man, that's great. Well, I think it has to be flying. As a kid, I remember having these grand dreams of flying above the trees and then waking up and just being absolutely heartbroken that it wasn't real. (laughs) And also with this current state of affairs, it'd be nice to just be able to fly and see some friends and family and not have to get on the, the airplane. So without thinking about it too hard, I think flying would be not bad. You could stay two meters above them instead of two meters in front of them. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) or more than two meters. I don't know. It depends how loud you can shout, I suppose. Yeah. But no capes. I don't need a cape. Don't need a cape. That's right. Skin tight, latex, no thanks, but (laughs) flying would be great. Depending on how high you're going, you might need to wrap up warm. (laughs) Yeah. A full fur jacket would be great. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. That's a good answer. Thanks very much for your time. Really enjoyed the film. I watched it prior to this interview and uh, I really enjoyed it. I do enjoy a good mystery and I think it does really well. So well done for making that happen and, and Making it so good, and, and I'm glad you got such a great cast, and it looks so good, and, and everything. So I'm um, very well done with that. I really enjoyed it, and it was great having you on to talk to me about it. Thank you very much, Craig. It was a pleasure. My pleasure as well. Good luck with your future projects. I will certainly keep my ear to the ground for that sci-fi thing. Uh, see where that goes. So yeah, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. That was my chat with Nicholas Trishan. I do wish him all the best with his future projects. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any major podcasting app. Apple users, please leave us a star rating and a comment. If you want to discuss this interview or anything else, you can find us on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. As always, I hope you'll join us on the next Neil Before Pod.